Our scripture this morning uh, is taken from Daniel chapter 2, and I'm going to read, it's too long of a narrative to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read from verses uh, 17 uh, to verse 30. This is God's word. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we, what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said, to the, he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may, may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for uh, you. We're thankful for your presence here with us. We're thankful uh, for your word. That even though these, these stories happened thousands and thousands of years ago, Father, they have profound significance and meaning for our lives even today. But Father, we confess that sometimes it's hard for us to understand, and that's why we need your spirit. We're thankful that uh, you promise that when we reflect on your word, when we gather together in worship that you not only reside there, but you take those words and, and affect change in our hearts. Father, we need our hearts to change, so we pray that you would do that here this morning. In Christ's name, amen. If you were here with us uh, last week, you'll know we started talking about uh, this book uh, called the Book of Daniel that is found in, in the latter half of the Old Testament. We're not looking at the second half of the book of Daniel, which creates a lot of uh, discussion over prophecy and telling of the future and all these interesting sorts of things. We're just really going to look at the first few chapters of, of the book of Daniel, which is a bunch of narrative stories that say a lot of profound things. 
Part of the reason I, I chose the book of Daniel is because I've been fascinated recently with it, and I'm going to tell you why. I've been really interested in the book of Daniel because a lot of Christian writers have been writing a lot of things about uh, how we as a church or how we as a community of believers have to now interact with our culture. They've talked about how we need to advocate for a different view in the way Christians interact with our culture and what our place in the culture is really all about. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll see that at one point in the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, were really uh, the top dogs in the culture. Under King Solomon and under King David, they were the most respected and uh, the well, most well-known nation really in the ancient world. Other nations would send dignitaries to the, the Israelite people in order to kind of glean wisdom and instruction for them. And because of this, they as a nation really determined the trajectory of the culture in a lot of ways. They had a, a culture-shaping influence in the ancient world. But then if you keep reading the Old Testament, you'll notice that things change rather quickly. The nation becomes arrogant, they become conceited, and in the process, they begin to forget about God. So what God does is he sends a foreign nation to come and conquer them. He sends Nebuchadnezzar, this king, and the Babylonian nation to come and to conquer them. So no longer could they be considered the top dogs in the ancient world. Now they were exiled. They had no identity as a nation. They didn't have a land to themselves, and their people were carried into a culture that was pagan and was hostile. Now, what makes sense of all that is that many of these Christian writers that are, that are out there now are starting to say that we live in a cultural climate that is much more like the culture that Daniel found himself in. It's not like the culture of David or not like the culture of Solomon. Instead, our culture is much more like the culture that Daniel and his friends found themselves in. Ironically, America is still considered to be a Christian nation, but I think all of us would probably agree, whether you are a Christian or not, we would probably all agree that we have departed as a country from a Christian ethic. The church really no longer holds a position of cultural influence as it once did in our culture. We are now much more like the church in exile than we were before. David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times, effectively writes about this in his most recent book called The Road to Character. He said, we once were a, a country that was built on ethics and built on character that came from our, our Christian or theological roots. But instead, we have moved in a very different direction. So we as Christians, we as the church have to begin to start asking some really important questions. If this is true about our culture, then what are we supposed to do now? If we have lost our influence in our culture, how are we to respond now in our world? If our culture is becoming more and more increasingly hostile to the faith, what does that mean for us? And so 
many have argued that we need to advocate for a return to Christian morality. Some people respond by saying we need to argue in the public square for more Christian morality to be established or more of a Christian ethic to become the top dog again. But I think if you look at the book of Daniel, you see something very different. Because if you look at the book of Daniel, you see that Daniel himself advocates for something that is much more profound. He advocates for believers in Jesus Christ, for believers in God, to seek to display the greatness and power of God in their lives more than anything else. And it's a call for you and I thousands of years later in a, in a culture that is hostile to our faith, to be people who display the greatness of Jesus Christ in our lives. And of course, we see that in this morning's story, this morning's narrative that we looked at Daniel. As you look at the narrative, you can really divide it into three different chapters. You see Nebuchadnezzar's dream in the first part of the story, you see Daniel's initiative in the second part of the story, and then finally you see Nebuchadnezzar's response. So the first chapter you find really in verses 1 to 16 uh, of chapter 2, and that is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. If you were with us last week, we talked about this, but at this point, Nebuchadnezzar really is the most powerful king in the ancient world. He's the, the king of Babylon, which was the most powerful nation in the ancient world. And he was an incredibly powerful, yet at the same time, very brutal man. To enter into his presence was to enter into a very risky situation. You never knew what he was going to do on a whim, or you never knew what sort of mood was going to catch him. But even with all this power, Nebuchadnezzar was a very, very troubled man. And you see this in the beginning of our narrative. I, I don't know about you, but um, I don't often have dreams that are very vivid, but I have one child at home that tends to have very vivid dreams. And often he'll come in the middle of the night into our room and, and begin to try to explain some sort of dream that he's had. And it seems so vivid to him and, and so powerful to him in that moment. And then, of course, in the next morning when you ask about it, he doesn't remember it at all. But it was very different for Nebuchadnezzar. You see, he had had several dreams that just shook him to his very core. They had bothered him so much or plagued him so much that it led him to insomnia. He couldn't sleep anymore. And he had to know what these dreams meant. He was passionate about knowing what their meaning was. So he did what any king did in the ancient world, and he summoned all of his experts. The passage tells us he brought his magicians and his enchanters and his sorcerers and his astrologers and he gathered them all together to decipher what the meaning of this dream meant. Now, some of these experts would look at the stars and try to determine what the meaning of this dream was. Others would, would kill an animal and, and pull out its liver and they would try to determine the future by the shape of a liver. 
others would call down uh, evil spirits or or the spirits of dead people and try to determine the meaning of the dream from all these different things. And, and all of these key individuals were surrounding Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, Daniel and his companions were, were being trained in determining the future from all these different and unique means. But in this instance, Nebuchadnezzar actually flips the script on all of his experts. He refuses to actually tell them what the dream is. So not only did they have to figure out the interpretation of the dream, but they actually had to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was first. And if they were unable to do it, if they couldn't figure it out, verse 5 tells us that they would be torn limb from limb and their houses would be left into ruins. Now, of course, our passage tells us that these experts could not deliver. They could not do what Nebuchadnezzar was asking them to do. So in his fury and in his rage, he ordered the orders of execution in order to kill all of these professionals and all of these experts. And Daniel and his companions who were being trained to be these experts were to be killed as well. The execution orders involved them as well. So then our story tells us that the executioners arrive at Daniel's house and then something incredibly remarkable happens. And you see in this next chapter, Daniel's initiative starting in verse 17. Because what it tells us is that Daniel immediately jumped into action. He immediately requested time with the king and the king's court. And this would have been an incredibly risky thing to do. To be in the presence of the king could mean death. If he caught, was caught in a bad mood or on a whim, it would mean certain death. Maybe Daniel felt like he had nothing to lose. He knew he was going to die anyway, so let's get an appointment with the king. Or maybe he had another plan in mind. Our passage tells us he was awarded time in the king's court, but before he went into the king's court, he gathered along with his companions and he did what he only knew to do, and that was he prayed. It says they met together to seek mercy from the God of heaven, revealing this mystery to them. And while in prayer, Daniel receives an answer from the Lord. And because he receives the answer, he breaks into spontaneous praise of God. And his song of praise is recorded in our passage for us. And in this song, Daniel reminds himself and he reminds us about some pretty profound things about God. The first thing he reminds himself and us is that God, the God that we pray to, the God that we worship, is a God who is in charge of all things. And if you were with us last week, you saw that this really becomes the main theme of the entire book of Daniel. It says in verse 21, He changes times and seasons, he removes kings, and he sets up kings. Now, this may have uh, even more meaning for us right now in our culture because we are about to really start the election season. 
I know the election's probably, what, 16 months away, but we know that it starts really, really early with these candidates posturing to win the top position uh, in our nation's government. The parties will tear each other up in the primaries, and then they will, uh, they will tear the other party up in the main election. And we'll have to see, hear, see and hear lots of chatter as we go through this process. Republicans will actively seek to tear down their Democratic opponents. Republican Christians will go public and say that the Democratic candidate is really the Antichrist in disguise. Republicans will declare that if the Democratic candidate wins the election, then the world will come to an end as we know it and we'll all have to move to Canada. But of course, it will go the other way too, right? Democrats will will tear down their Republican opponents. Democratic Christians will say that the Republican candidate is the Antichrist. And Democrats will declare that the end of the world will come if the Republican candidate wins wins the election. But what does Daniel do? Daniel reminds us that God is the one who removes kings And he is the one that sets up kings. He reminds us that God is in charge of rulers. He's in charge of raising them up and bringing them down. He's in charge of the shifting culture and the world that we live in. But he's not just in charge on a macro scale, but he's also in charge at a very micro scale as well. He's in charge of the everyday moments of our lives that you and I wade in and out of each day. Reminds us that nothing, nothing that happens to us day in and day out happens to us by accident. Nothing escapes God's attention. All things come to us and come on our path via the hand of God. No interruption that you and I may go through, whether it's big or whether it's mundane, isn't infused with some sort of divine significance. Daniel reminds us that God is in charge of all things. But it's not all that he reminds us of. He also reminds us that God knows all of the mysteries. He knows all of the mysteries. He knows all of the answers. Verse 22 says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. You see, part of what it means to to be God, part of what it means to be a part of his character is to know all things. We're different than God. We are his creation. We are finite. We deal with unknowns all the time. We deal with mysteries all the time because our knowledge is limited, but God is different. He knows all things. There are no things that are mysterious to him. You know, we meet here this morning in a science building, right? And scientists and uh, researchers have done amazing things, remarkable things through their research and discovery that help us understand things that once were mysteries. But the reality is there is still so much more mystery to life. There's so much more miracle to life that is unexplainable. 
If you know me, you know one of my favorite movies is is Sleepless in Seattle, this old movie with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan in it. And what's so great about this movie is that Meg Ryan's character in the movie is really driven by the mystery of of love all throughout the movie. And there's this great scene where she goes into meet with it's either her brother or her friend in the story and begins to explain to him this kind of mystery mysterious drawl of love that she feels in her life and and her friend kind of talks down to her a little bit and says oh you know that really love is just your subconsciousness connecting with another person's subconsciousness subconsciously and of course she chooses to ignore all of the rational advice that she receives from this friend and instead she chooses to follow the mystery of life and follow the mystery of love all throughout the movie. Friends, there are so many mysteries to life, aren't there? We ask questions like, why does this thing happen to me? Or why doesn't this other thing happen to me? We ask about why things in our life don't happen according to the script that we write for ourselves. We often wonder why God moves so fast or why God moves so slow. We are left with so many questions in life. So many mysteries that we don't have answers to. But what we do know is that God is not like us. Verse 22 says, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. You see, Daniel, when he's confronted with this situation, does what the only thing he knows to do. He runs to God, who is the true source of knowledge. And because of that, he rushes into Nebuchadnezzar's presence. You see, his knowledge of and his relationship with God translates into bold confidence to rush into the presence of this king. And when he does, he not only reveals to Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of the dream, but he also reveals the actual dream to Nebuchadnezzar himself. And because of that, this powerful king is undone. The most powerful ruler in the ancient world is literally undone in Daniel's presence. Daniel beautifully doesn't take any credit whatsoever for his understanding. He doesn't take any credit for at all for being able to interpret this dream Instead, he says, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the other living experts. Instead, he points the finger directly to God. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. You see, Daniel is passionate about displaying the wonder and the glory of God in the midst of a pagan and hostile world. It says in verse 45, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. So we see in our passage, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, 
We see Daniel's initiative, and finally we see beautifully and incredibly Nebuchadnezzar's response. It says this in verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Imagine for a second the most notorious or, or, or well-known evil person in human history. And then multiply that person's evilness by 10. And that's what you get in the king of Nebuchadnezzar. This guy was a very intense and brutal man in the ancient world. And then imagine... That man falling down prostrate, undone, acknowledging that God in heaven is the Lord of all and the King of kings. Because that is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar does in this story. Not only does he, not only is he tempted to worship Daniel himself, but then he promotes Daniel, giving him all sorts of rewards and prestige for what he has done. Daniel and his companions are promoted to some of the most influential roles in this pagan world. These simple Jewish exiles who were probably just teenagers at this point in their lives are now made to be some of the most important men in the kingdom. And as for Nebuchadnezzar, his spiritual journey is about to begin. It's a spiritual journey that we'll see played out over the next few chapters in the book of Daniel. But all of this is because Daniel's God is a revealer of mysteries. Daniel's God is a revealer of mysteries. You know, our temptation is to look at this story and to think that Daniel really is the hero of the story. And he really is a remarkable character in this story. He recognizes that his life and the life of all his companions and the life of all these ancient experts that he was training with, he realized that all their lives are in jeopardy. So instead, what he does is he steps in to rescue. He steps into harm's way in order to rescue them. And he prays for God to reveal the mystery and rushes into the king's court. He does it not just to save himself, but to save his friends and to save all these other pagans that are surrounding him. And in the process, he sticks his neck out and he reveals God to all the watching world. But the story really can't end with just Daniel and his remarkable heroism in this story. Because the scriptures talk about another mystery. They talk about the mystery of God's plan of redemption. That really is the big story that the Bible is all about. You see, because man sinned in the garden and because you and I sin daily, because we rebel against God daily, the punishment of death hangs over our heads. But all throughout the Bible, God hints at a mystery. 
And that mystery is the mystery of how God is going to come and rescue us from ourselves, rescue us from the punishment that we deserve because of our rebellion. But the scriptures tell us very clearly that all those mysteries end up becoming revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus himself recognized that we were broken and that we were in need of rescue. He recognized that you and I were in spiritual jeopardy because of our rebellion. So he became a God who does dwell with humanity. He stepped into harm's way on our behalf. He stuck his head out for us and allowed the executioner's blow to fall on him. He gave his own life so that you and I could experience spiritual life. Colossians 2 tells us that the mystery of God has been revealed in Jesus Christ. He was the one who stepped in the gap. He was the one who interceded so that you and I could experience life. And Corinthians tells us that he is the source of our life, whom God has made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification. Friends, all those mysteries of life that we confront day in and day out, all those big questions of how did we get here and who are we and what is our purpose and why do we exist, all those big questions about how we can be made right before a God whom we've offended, how can we experience life abundantly, how can we be rescued all of those mysteries of life are revealed in Jesus Christ. And our role is to seek mercy in him and to discover life.